And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Football Show. Welcome to the Athletic Football Show. Today's Thursday, September 29th. I'm Robert Mays. Fun show for you guys today. Danny Heifetz from The Ringer is going to be joining us a little bit later to trot out something we're calling quarterback therapy. We're going to have people talk through their quarterback issues on this show every once in a while. Danny is a Giants fan. A lot to dig into with Daniel Jones and the experience of watching Daniel Jones if you've been a Giants fan over the last few years. So excited to get to Danny. Hope you guys will enjoy that conversation. Before we do that, though, I am thrilled to welcome one of our new NFL writers at The Athletic. It's Mike Jones. Mike, how you doing? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It's so good to have you here. The last time I saw you, we were not coworkers. Nope, it was nope. in San Francisco. We were at Niners training camp. Ships yeah. in the night passing during a training camp tour. And a couple weeks later, I found out that we are working together, which is very exciting. And I hope you've been enjoying it so far. Yeah, it's a lot of um, been a lot of meetings, a lot of phone calls, a lot of slacks, <laughs> and um, just figuring out my lane and everything. But I'm excited to be here. A lot of good people, a lot of talented people. That I've known, you know, and admired from afar. So now it's cool to be able to get to work with everybody like yourself. Awesome. We are very, very excited. We are going to kick off today with some news from this week. We'll get to the headlines, how we're going to start pretty much every Thursday show we're going to do this season. A few things to sort through. Jameis Winston did not practice on Wednesday. 
It does sound like he's going to practice tomorrow, though. I thought this was going to be a slightly bigger story just because the step stepped out from Jameis to Andy Dalton and what that might mean for the Saints long term. Pretty huge. This is pretty huge news, though. Joey Bosa is getting surgery on his injured groin. He is going on IR. We talked about the Rayshon Slater injury yesterday with Mitchell Schwartz. We did not get to the Joey Bosa news. The Chargers, I, I have no idea how this team continues to do this every single year. It doesn't matter who the coach is. It doesn't matter who the training staff is. It doesn't matter what the medical staff is. It doesn't matter how they practice. It doesn't matter where they practice. It just seems like they are snake bit in a way that few other franchises have been over the last few years. Yeah. You know, you wonder, is it something in the water? I mean, what what is going on that is just, you know, again and again, and you think, okay, hey, this is going to be their year. This is going to be their opportunity where they can really make some noise. Um, and then they get just debilitating blow um, again and again. It's like you feel bad for them, really, um, because, you know, you got your big brother that's over there on the other side of town that just won the Super Bowl. You're trying to, you know, you know, you're not going to give you to keep pace, but you're trying to at least like make some strides in this battle for the city. And, you know, one step back after another, uh, it's just it's not working for them. This team just not only losing pieces on offense and defense, but losing their best players on offense and defense seemingly every single year. Derwin James missed a decent chunk of time. Now Justin Herbert is hurt. The thought that this could be a lost season for the Chargers after some of the expectations they had coming into the year is almost unthinkable. It's And the fact that it's only week three and we've arrived at that point, I mean, it's unbelievably deflating. Oh, no, for sure. Um, because like you said, I think because of how early it is, it's not even like they really had gotten going and built some momentum, um, but they were just trying to get started out. And Justin Herbert, you know, he's he's banged up. Um, and then, you know, they just can't get healthy. And then this year, and you just wonder, okay, next year, next year, eventually you run out of next year's. Um, and, you know, franchises get frustrated with, with coaching staffs of teams that underperform eventually injuries. You know, you can use that as an excuse, but that eventually gets old as well. And so it's just, it's really hard to get your mind around just what it must be like to be inside that organization going through this, because even from outside, it's just pretty mind blowing. And one of the bigger issues with this entire situation is this team came into the season with one edge rusher on the active roster that wasn't Khalil Mack or Joey Bosa. It was really the spot on the roster where they could least afford a major injury and losing a guy who's one of the best players at his position in the entire league, and then going to a completely bare cupboard outside of Khalil Mack. The entire point of this was to pair Mack with Bosa and allow each of them to kind of push each other forward, make each other the best versions of themselves. And now you completely lose track of that plan three games into the season and really have no backup plan or no consolation for who comes next. And that is a huge, huge issue for what this defense could ultimately look like. Yeah, because and and the options that are out there on the streets are are pretty thin now. Um, you know, I mean, Jason Pierre-Paul just signed with Baltimore. Um, you know, that's a, a guy who's off the streets. Who else is out there that is somebody that can actually help them? Um, you know, because now, like you said, being able to pair those guys, you weren't going to be able to key on one or the other. Um, fewer double teams for them, but now you're going to be able to devote a lot of attention to stopping Khalil Mack, and you hope that that frees up somebody on the other side. But it's a matter of who that person is. Um, and it might have to be who those people are because one person might not be able to get the job done. 
Maybe Kyle Van Noy plays on the edge a little bit, but then you take him out of playing off-ball linebacker, and Kenneth Murray's had a rough start to the season. This domino effect of what happens when you lose a player like this, you can already see it start to unfold. And Man, I just did not expect to be here a month into the season with this team that I thought had a chance to go all the way to the Super Bowl. All right, next one here. Zach Wilson will start this Sunday for the Jets against the Steelers. Where are you at with the Zach Wilson, Joe Flacco situation and how weird this all seems with the Jets? Because I have a sinking feeling that this could be really awkward if Zach Wilson comes in and plays poorly because we've seen some flashes from Joe Flacco this year. Obviously not a great game against the Bengals last week, but this offense has looked competent and functional in ways this season that it did not often last year. And if this does not go well with Zach Wilson, I think there might be some awkward conversations to be had in the Jets building. Oh, no, for sure. Um, and, and I mean, look, I'm not saying that Joe Flacco is um, going to lead this team to the playoffs or anything. But like you said, it looked competent. And you can't really say the same for what it looked like with this offense with Zach Wilson last year. You hope that he's ready to take a step forward. Um, but I almost wonder, you know, should you hold him back just another, um, you know, a little bit more just to see what Joe Flacco can do? And then you kind of eventually ease him in here if it does go south, because say that say that Wilson goes out there and wets the bed. Um, it's not just the perception on the outside. It's the guys in the locker room, the veterans yeah. on that team. They want to win. Um, and they don't care who and how high your draft stock was. Um, they just want the guy who gives them the best opportunity. And if, if Wilson comes in there and he's throwing the ball to the wrong team and he's holding on to the ball too long and taking us necessary sacks and they're not taking steps forward and, then you got guys looking over there and like, well, this guy, you know, he's been around the block. He's got a Super Bowl ring. Um, we had a chance with him. We actually got a win with him. They're going to start looking over there. Then you got the coaching staff who's trying to make sure they don't lose um, the respect of the guys in the locker room. It just really puts uh, Robert Sala and his guys in a really tough position. And I think he's in a tough position, period, because yes. three games into this season, the Jets are dead last in defensive DVOA, after all of the money that they spent on that side of the ball, after all of the draft picks they spent on that side of the ball. Sauce Gardner had a great day against Jamar Chase. He's going to be a good player, I think, in time. But the safety play has been abysmal. The pass rush has not been what they wanted it to be. This was the year where they were supposed to throw so many resources into that side of the ball that they were going to take a significant step forward. And that has not happened. So at a certain point, all of the guys you drafted in the first round, all of the money that you spent, the results have to be there. You have to start playing well for all of this optimism and goodwill that we're putting into the Joe Douglas plan for it to actually come to fruition. And that just has not happened yet. And if it doesn't happen sooner rather than later, I think that we might be having some tough conversations over there in Florham Park. Oh, for sure. Um, and look, you want to see a guy get enough time and it takes time to turn a franchise around. but if the results aren't there and the, the the window of opportunity and the window of proving ground gets shorter and shorter, it seems um, they've got to take some steps forward. And I'm not saying they have to make it to the playoffs, but they've got to be competitive. They've got to see some of these young guys show promise. Um, and if not, then yeah, it, the, 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 the questions start flying, the seats start getting a little bit warmer and um, you know, guys aren't around for much longer. 
doesn't help that George Fant is also headed to IR. It's just, God, it's like spinal tap drummers with their tackles on this team. The amount of guys who've gone down and what they've been dealing with this season. Cedric Abui and Mike Rummers have been signed as kind of backup plans here. We'll see how that ultimately shakes out. Not a good situation. The bigger injury news that I want to wrap up with here. Mac Jones, his injured ankle will keep him out likely a month. And this brings me to a chat I want to have just about where the Patriots are right now. I was watching them this week, rewatching the Baltimore game, and I thought the offense looked pretty good. And they're they're 13th in offensive DVOA. There have been some flashes. Some of the pieces make sense, but their defense isn't very good. They're capped out. The roster is built in this way where I don't totally understand it. And I've been asking this question even before the season started, and I I don't have a good answer even as we've played three games. And the answer is not going to get any clearer with Mac Jones missing a month. I just don't understand what the Patriots are. Like what right. this team is and what it's supposed to be. I still have not figured that out. We're three games into the year, and now they're about to lose their starting quarterback who they took in the first round for an entire month, and Brian Hoyer is going to play. So I, it's such a strange situation to me. Yeah, you know what it feels like? It feels like a team that is resting on what they did five, six, seven years ago. Um, <laughs> it feels like Bill Belichick is like, hey, you see all these rings? Um and he's expecting that to still carry them because the decisions don't look like, remember, we always used to look at the stuff the Patriots did and be like, oh man, that's a really smart move. And people are like, well, why didn't we think of that? Oh, why didn't we try that? And now you're looking at the stuff saying like, what are you thinking? I mean, just at the quarterback position alone, you have a young guy, a second year guy in Mac Jones, and you need to help him take a step forward. You lost a really talented offensive coordinator who was responsible for helping him develop. And you replace him with two proven failures of head coaches in Matt Patricia and Joe Judge, who have never been offensive play callers and who have never been quarterback uh, coaches. And they're entrusted with helping this kid grow. I just don't get it. And I know Bill Belichick, when he talks about offensive play calling, he's like, look, I'm the head coach. It begins and it ends with me. Um, Yeah, but still having somebody in that kid's ear who... I, Brian Hoyer is not enough. You need a real quarterback whisperer who's responsible and has a proven track record of helping him grow. Not Matt Patricia, who, yeah, he's really smart and he's worked hard and studies. Okay. But I just have real questions. It just feels very arrogant of Belichick to think that he could really get results out of this young quarterback and this offense going this way he did. And then, like you said, the other side of the ball, just real questions here of just, I don't know if they can get back to what they were. Um, I think that they felt like, hey, we've got a program in place. We've got the, the the structure and we've got the game plan, the blueprint. And now we've got somebody, you know, the fans were thinking, oh, this is the next Tom Brady, you know, and I don't see it happening. I, I wonder how much longer this version of the Patriots is going to last before, you know, Belichick decides to retire after, you know, out of, in frustration after not being able to get this thing back uh, to where they used to be. When I was watching the offense on Sunday, I was pleasantly surprised by some of the things that I was seeing, but it was still a strange experience. Mac Jones right now, through three games, is fourth in the NFL in air yards per target. No quarterback in the league has thrown a higher percentage of his passes 20 or more yards downfield in the NFL than Mac Jones. 
he had this reputation last year as this guy who's kind of a game manager and you know really kind of keeps the train on the tracks and you know doesn't have a big arm and you watch that Baltimore game he's just slinging this shit all over the place he's throwing the ball into traffic he's making plays on the move they really did a good job with identifying one-on-one matchups with Devontae Parker on the outside against a Ravens secondary that was really banged up they had some big plays as a result of that. He had a beautiful deep cross to Parker off play action, but the offense was supposed to be more of a Shanahan-like offense. They're dead last in play action rate this year, but when they have done under center play action, it's actually looked okay. But for the most part, their passing game is just Mac playing point guard and shotgun. Like I don't understand any of it, but the players are okay enough that the results, I think, are going to be fine with Mac Jones in there. But that still doesn't lead me to an answer about where over the long term is this team supposed to go and what is it supposed to be? Next year, they have like $75 million in cap space again if they move on from a couple of these guys. Hunter Henry, but Isaiah Wynn is a free agent. Jacoby Myers is a free agent. You have Tyquan Thornton that you drafted in the second round. Nelson Aguilar is going to be a free agent. Do you go find more pass catchers in free agency the same way you did last offseason? What because happens God knows with they can't Wynn? draft them. It's just, I, the, I think that they're going to be fine. Like every single week when Mac Jones is playing, I think they will be a competent, competitive team, if a little bit underwhelming because of the lack of talent that they have on defense. And if we get to the end of the season, and Matt comes back in a month and they end up going eight and nine. Let's just say that's the final result. We're seven and 10. What happens next? Like, I just don't understand the sequencing of what this is all supposed to be and how it's supposed to go. It's not embarrassing. It's not like they're trotting out this awful team. I think they actually did a fairly decent job in putting the best 11 on the field they possibly could with the lack of resources they had going into this year's draft and the lack of money that they have in free agency. But in terms of one year, two year, three years down the road and what the outlook is, I just have absolutely no idea what this is supposed to be. No, I don't either. And you're saying you think they'll be fine, but this is the Patriots. They're not supposed to be fine. They're supposed that's to be ca- that's the thing. Great, yes. Right. You know, it's like being fine isn't enough uh, for a Bill Belichick team. Um, you know, and, and you just look at it and you just uh, again, I don't I don't know where the hope is. Um, and I, again, I just I don't know how much longer we're going to see this. I, You know, I mean, how much longer is Belichick going to want to endure something like this? What do you think? I think the question is how much longer does he want to endure just being one of the teams? Right. Just having to live in. And that's how it's been the last couple of years, right? They now have had to live the life. You could justify it because you were getting your quarterback in place, right? But now they've got their guy. And if they're just one of those teams with their guy, then, you know. This is the life that? that everyone else has to live. That's what they've had to do over the last couple of years, where you have a quarterback that is fine. You know, I think he's going to be somewhere in that middle ground of quarterbacks, you know, that world we live in with Kirk Cousins and Derek Carr and all of those types. And you can win with that guy if the circumstances are right, but they haven't drafted well. And that's forced them to spend in free agency in a way that shows some desperation and urgency that this team has not had to trot out for the most part. And like so many other franchises around the league, that leaves you as a team that's having to operate from a position of weakness. And then two years later, after you sign all those deals, you can get out from under all of those deals and you got all this cap space again, but then you're going to go out and have to overpay for guys in free agency the same way that all these other teams do. And you get on this cycle where it's like, all right, like what is the end game? Where are we taking this? And that treadmill of frustration 
that they're potentially looking at. I just don't know if that's a treadmill that 70-something-year-old Bill Belichick wants to be on for very long. No, I, I don't think it is. Um, and I think eventually it's, you know, like you said, you name Derek Carr, you name Kirk Cousins, and you see those teams are just always middle of the pack. Um, that's just not what the Patriots expect. That's not what Bill Belichick expects, and that's not what he's here for. He's here to win championships. And eventually, you know, you figure, hey, did the game pass him by? And is he going to feel like, you know what, I've done enough. It's time for me to move on let somebody else figure out this mess. This is something I'm sure we'll relitigate a million different times over the next three or four years, but just how much Tom Brady papered over some of the issues that they had elsewhere and how many problems he was able to solve and just the air freshener that he was for whatever other ills could be there with that franchise. And now I think you see some of that stuff laid bare where you don't have a quarterback who can overcome that. And you're looking at this team that's just pretty forgettable. Like they're just another team. The fact that it says Patriots on the helmet is really the only differentiating factor. And I think that it leads us to see them in this sort of way that the mystique and the aura of what they're supposed to be still lingers. But for the most part, that's what this team feels like. They just feel like another football team. They feel like yeah. another team that's going to be a middle of the road franchise in the AFC East in the same way the Dolphins were for a decade or 15, 20 years. And it's just a odd kind of surreal experience when you're talking about a team that has the reverence and all of that, that we typically ascribe to this organization, to this coaching staff and the way that they've done things. And you have to wonder, this is, is this what Brady saw coming when he decided, Hey, you know, I'm going to go down to Tampa, not only just for a coach that'll appreciate me and treat me like I'm special and like I've accomplished something and not just every other guy, but did he look at this roster and look at the the salary cap picture and look at, you know, what he had been working with, having to make do with, you know, every, you know, Joe blows at wide receiver. Um, and then, you know, just like, you know what, I'm going somewhere where there's some real talent because the the prospects, the horizon doesn't look very bright here. And, and here we see, you know, they're just another team and that's and here Brady is down, you know, in a better situation, better situation. And so, hey, he knew what he was doing. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S. based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, we're going to try something new uh, on this week's show and something I want to do over the course of the season. Uh, we have so many thoughts, takes, ideas early in the year that can look pretty terrible pretty quickly. It's how the NFL goes. 17 right, games, right. a lot can change on a dime. Uh, it's a pretty temporal league for the most part. So thoughts you had two weeks ago might not hold up after some things change pretty quickly. We're going to call this take two. It's okay. a way to rethink, reshape 
kind of come back to some of the thoughts and takes you had earlier in the season. I'll trot mine out first. I think I might have to admit I was wrong about the Cowboys. (laughs) I, even coming into the season, thought that this would be a disappointing year for Dallas. I thought that their defense would take a significant step back. They were so dependent on turnovers last year, and it's just such a volatile way to play that I wasn't sure they'd be able to hold up because they didn't really add any pieces defensively. You know, they didn't go out and make any splashy moves. This team didn't add much talent, period, this offseason. The state of the receiving core is kind of horrifying outside of CeeDee Lamb. After Tyron Smith got hurt, I was like, man, look at the state of their offensive line. And then Dak gets hurt. It's like, this is over. I don't know what happens long term, but in the NFC this year, they're going to struggle to make the playoffs. They're going to struggle to be competitive. It's probably going to be a lost year. We're going to be get to the end of this thing. Mike McCarthy's going to be gone. And for a lot of different reasons, those circumstances have changed in the past two weeks. The most important thing is, I don't know if there are any other good teams in the NFC, right? <laughs> like, who are the other NFC wildcard teams right now? Who are the teams that you feel really good about in the NFC at this exact moment? I feel decent about Minnesota. Um, I feel decent... As far as wildcard teams, yeah, I feel decent about Minnesota. That, uh, that's pretty much where I am. <laughs> right, so I, you know. I, I thought the Vikings would make the playoffs. Okay, I thought yeah. they'd be a wildcard team this year. But right. other than that, the teams that I thought would be in that conversation were teams like San Francisco. I thought yeah. the Saints had a chance to get there if things broke right for them on offensively. But Jameis has been hurt or indefective, some combination of those but two he's been things. Jameis. He's, he's been, been Jameis. Jameis. He's been yeah. Jameis with a bunch of broken bones in his back, which is probably not the right way to be doing this. So that second tier of the NFC, even the first tier of the NFC, is so much more watered down than I thought it would be. So now you have this Dallas team sitting here at two and one with real life. So those are the circumstances that are outside of their control. The circumstances within their control, their defense has been good. They're eighth in defensive DVOA through three games. They are number one in the league in sack percentage defensively. Trayvon Diggs looks pretty good, even if he's not picking balls off. He had some really nice moments in coverage on Monday night against the Giants. I know it's against the Giants, but just in the right places, making the right decisions. He looks like he's even taken a step forward. And then you look at what's happening up front, and it is horrifying. What they did to the Bengals, a lot of teams are doing that to the Bengals. What they did to the Giants, a lot of teams are going to be doing that to the Giants. But I truly believe that what they have with their front four and the way that they're deploying those guys, they're going to get after pretty much every single team that they play. And when I was thinking about this version of the Cowboys, they lose Randy Gregory. It's like, are they? how can they be as good defensively? DeMarcus Lawrence only played a handful of games last year. DeMarcus Lawrence is really fucking good. <laughs> like yeah. That guy can take over games. And what he did to Evan Neal on Monday, uh, Evan Neal's going to be seeing that in his dreams for a very long time. And then you have a guy in Micah Parsons who... We said it a couple weeks ago on this show, and I think he's only put more distance between him and everybody else. I think he's probably the second best defensive player in football right now outside of Aaron Donald. And what he can do and the ways that they're deploying him and the matchups they're finding up front, I think this could be a top 10-ish defense. And then on the other side of the ball, Tyler Smith has looked pretty damn good at left tackle. What he's been for them as a pass protector, a weapon in the run game, some of the pin-pull stuff they ran on Monday night where he's getting out in space, he looks excellent. And if they decide that Jason Peters is the answer for them at left guard, 
and they can have a five that works for them, and Michael Gallup gets back here pretty soon, and they can endure the next couple weeks with Cooper Rush and kind of stay competitive and stay alive in an NFC that really does seem like it's taken a downturn, this team might be able to salvage this season in a way that I just did not expect two weeks ago. Yeah, I and I, I hear you. I see. I thought they were going to be. You thought they were going to be disappointing. I thought they were going to be really good. I thought they were finally going to, you know, like really get things clicking the right way. I thought some of those young guys that you just named uh, were going to take another leap forward. And then Dak gets hurt, and you know Zeke doesn't look like you know Zeke again. And I just like you know what this team's going to disappoint again. And now we think that Philadelphia is going to win that division. Um, and so. I I'm expecting Dallas. There's still a lot of time for them to 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 fall apart and to disappoint and do what they have done for you know a lot of years now. So uh, you make good arguments, but I'm not willing ready to to buy them as being um, a, a good team that has a chance. Even though I know the 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 competition out there is not very fierce. But that's what I was going to say. I don't think they yeah. are a good team. I don't know if they are a <laughs> good team, but I don't back think they're way in like Washington did a few years ago. <laughs> that's kind of what it feels like is that even yeah. if they're kind of a 500 team and they hang around, there's a chance that a team that lingers around 500 stumbles into the playoffs in the yeah. NFC because of what things look like. And yeah, Zeke doesn't look great. This team is seventh in EPA per rush this season. Tony Pollard looks incredible. Like, yeah. There are ways for them to have a functioning offense in the meantime until Dak gets back and in the nfc what it looks like right now that's probably enough for them to be okay and i just did not expect the nfc to be this bad even if we knew it was a step down from the afc and i did not expect them to look the way that they have on defense and when you have those guys up front that's enough and in to find passing situations on monday mm-hmm. you can just feel how they smell blood and when you have a team that plays like that you got playmakers on the back end they have enough you know they don't have superstars back there, you know, whatever you think of Trayvon Diggs, but they don't have any defined holes either. They have a bunch of good players, and when you have true stars up front, that's enough. I think the run defense is going to struggle with the way that they're constructed, but they're going to be able to get after teams when it's third and seven, and they have a defensive coordinator in Dan Quinn who has a really good plan for how to do that. You know, there are so many packages where Lawrence had a sack where he was lined up over the left guard or the right guard on Monday night. Him and Parsons are going to be on the same side. They run so many twists and games. Dorrance Armstrong is a decent player. What they've gotten out of Dante Fowler because of how much talent they have elsewhere, he's been productive for them so far. So I just was wrong about their defense, and I think that's going to be enough to keep them relevant. I really do. All right, what's yours? It's time for you to retake something here. My take, you know, everybody was talking about Jalen Hurts and the Eagles and the Eagles being, you know, uh, a contender this year. And I was like, let's pump the brakes. You know, they're going to be okay. Jalen Hurts is okay. Um, they've got some pieces. Yeah, they got A.J. Brown. But we don't really know if this kid's going to take a leap forward. I was really wrong uh, because he's looking like an MVP candidate right now. Um, and, and just balling out, um, not just with his legs. He's making some big-time throws. Um, you know, they their defense gets after people, too. And the Eagles are going to win that division. And so that's my take is that I, I was wrong that they were just going to be okay and maybe squeak in as a wild card. I think they win that division. And again, okay, it's been against Minnesota. It's been against Washington, against Detroit, but still. Um, and I know that they're, you know, against Washington, they had a really good second quarter and then second half, they've kind of struggled a little bit. But if they're doing this this early, 
I still think that they have a chance to really put something together and make a lot of noise. Um, and I'm really excited to see what they do against some elite teams. I thought they would be really good, and I thought they had a chance to not only win the division, but be in the conversation to be the number one seed in the NFC, just because of the sheer amount of talent that they had all over the roster. I've referenced this a couple of times, but I chatted with Bo Wolf, one of our Eagles writers, when we were at training camp in Philadelphia earlier this summer. And he said something to me I thought was particularly poignant. He said, even if Jalen Hurts is the same guy he was last season, this team has a chance to win 10-11 games solely because of how much is around him. They have the best offensive line in football. They have A.J. Brown, and now Devontae Smith is better because A.J. Brown is there. Like You feel that. Dallas Goddard is a really nice piece. They have enough at running back. And then you go on defense, and going to get C.J. Gardner-Johnson and James Bradbury and all the things he did in the secondary, what Jordan Davis does for them, it's hard to find true defined holes on their roster. So the 2021 version of Jalen Hurts would probably be enough for them to compete for the division and at least be a playoff team. I did not expect him to take this sort of step forward. I did not expect their passing game to look like this. So with this guy at quarterback, I think they might clearly be the number one, the best team in the NFC based on how everyone else is playing. And then when you look at best the best in the NFC, yes. I, I said this last week, and I, I, I think I might believe it even more now after watching some of the stuff they did on offense. I think they might be the best team in the NFC. And even if they're not the best team, the road they have gives hey, them yeah. a serious inside track to get the number one seed. Their schedule is awful. <laughs> they play the Jags this week, which has suddenly become an awesome game that I cannot wait Great. to watch. After that, they play the Cardinals, who look like they have forgotten to play on, how to play NFL football. They play the Cowboys with Cooper Rush. They play the Steelers, the Texans, the Commanders again, a Colts team that who knows what the hell they'll be six weeks from now. Right. Then they play the Packers. But after that, they get a Titans team that's awful. They get a Giants team that's probably going to be done with their season by December 11th, then they play. Then they play the Cowboys, and then they get the Giants again. They have the worst remaining schedule in the NFL down the stretch, and they look like they might be the best team in the conference from a talent perspective. That combination of factors, could they win 14 games? Like it, To me, it's not the craziest thing in the world. Yeah, no. You know, and I, this morning, there was a dude walking around my gym who had NFC East is not enough. It was an Eagles shirt. And I'm like, man, like he saw something that, that you know, a lot of us didn't see this early. Who like, was printing that shirt in August? I know. I was like, what? Where did you get that? And when did you get that? Like, just just all of a sudden now? But when you look at it, it really makes a lot of sense um, that they can make some noise now. And again, I want to wait and see what happens um, when they get against a team like a Tampa Bay or they get against, you know, a Rams team or something like that. But, you know, we're going to have to wait, you know, to, you know, uh, to see what they can do. But definitely the road looks good for them right there. And so that's why I'm, I'm willing to say, hey, I was wrong. Yeah, and I, I think that the, the best team in the NFC thing is a strong statement, but I also think that says more about the state of the NFC than it even does about the Eagles. Everyone else has such huge questions or such huge injury issues. The Eagles are arguably the healthiest team in the league right now. The Jags are also right there. It's incredible how fast that rears its head when you look yeah. at these teams that are better than we thought they'd be. and. Two of those teams are two of the healthiest teams in the league, even a month into the season, how much that matters. But I just think they're deep. I think they're loaded. And I think every other team in the NFC just isn't as good as we thought it was going to be. And that's really opened the door for these guys. The last other thing I wanted to talk to you about really quickly while we were on the topic of NFC East teams, you live in Washington. It's a team that you covered in the past, you know, extremely well. 
How do you think people were feeling about Carson Wentz after Sunday and, and where this is right now? Man, people were, were kind of optimistic after the first couple of weeks. They're like, oh, man, look, 300-yard games, you know? They, you know, they started slow, but they, they put up points. After Sunday, they're like, whoa, this is the head case guy from Philly. Um, like, of course, this happens to us. Um, there's a lot of uneasiness now. Um, it's just one game. It's amazing how it can all change. Um, but yeah, he didn't look good. I mean, he's got pieces to work with. I know his offensive line is really basically, you know, there's more injuries and a bunch of guys that you couldn't even name if you had to. Uh, but you've got Terry McLaurin. You've got uh, Dotson. You've got a healthy Curtis Samuel. Um, you got Logan Thomas, you know, is a decent tight end. Um, and for whatever reason, they cannot figure out how to use all that. And Terry McLaurin is the forgotten man in that offense. And he should have been Carson Wentz's best friend. And you're just like, dude, like, what's going on? And people are like, here we are. We paid too much for this guy. Um, you know, we knew what he was. And I think they talked themselves into thinking that, hey, fresh start, you know, Maybe, you know, they can be the ones because Ron and Scott Turner talk so highly of him. But, yeah, there was a lot of concern and, and angst based on how bad that offense looked on Sunday against the Eagles. When of all teams, you should have been able to get up for the Eagles if you are Carson Wentz. Um, but instead, he looked very fragile um, and they scored six points on offense. Uh, and that was in, you know, the second half, it took them forever to get going. And so, yeah, there's a lot of, um, a lot of uneasiness. This could be another long year for this team. Um, after the quarterback carousel, um, spun and stopped once again, this time Carson Wentz. Do you remember, I think it was like three or four years ago, Adam Sandler hosted Saturday night live and they did a sketch where he was a travel agent. And the entire premise of the sketch is that he was trying to explain to the people using the service that just because you go on a trip, you don't become a different person. <laughs> and that's the entire premise of the thing. It's like, we can take you to Italy, but you will be you in Italy. If you are sad here, you will be sad in Italy. Like, we can take you on a hike, but we cannot make you a person who likes hiking. And that's how I feel about Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz, just because he's in a new place, he's always going to be Carson Wentz. Like that is how this happens most of the time with most quarterbacks. What happened with Matthew Stafford is an unbelievable outlier. And I think he was dropped into such a great situation that we saw something that very rarely happens. When you take Sam Darnold and you take him off the Jets and you put him on the Panthers, he's still Sam Darnold. When you take Carson Wentz off of the Colts and you put him on the Washington football team, he is still Carson Wentz. There are going to be these moments where he looks like the number two pick in the draft, where he can throw it a mile and he's big and he's physical and he's got a cannon. And when you put him in a well-constructed offense with some of these playmakers, there are going to be some flashes. You're like, holy shit. And you can talk yourself into that. But this is is inevitably going to come. There are always going to be these moments. And they're going to be sprinkled between moments of brilliance. And in the end, you can get a performance that leaves you as the 12th best offense in football if you're lucky. If everything else breaks right. But it's not going to be a steady 12 all the way through the season. You're going to have some spikes and you're going to have some craters. And that's what last week is like. And if you're a Washington fan, you watch that for the first time. Imagine you're sitting back and like, it's going to be a long year. Like I just have no idea what it's going to look like on a week-to-week basis. No, I don't know. And and look, if the, the they were really happy with how they did 
um, against the Jaguars in week one. And then they played Detroit and they lost to Detroit. And then they get the pants banked off of them against the Eagles. And then everybody just that sinking feeling sunk in and settled in right there. And I don't know. Um, I don't know if it's if it's going to be something that they're going to be able to claw their way out of. It, I think you're right. He is what he, he is. He's who we thought he was, you know. And it's always fascinating to me how teams end up making these decisions. And I get how Washington got there with Carson Wentz. You look at what you had with Taylor Heineke over the last couple of years and the limitations it put on the things you could even run offensively. And you look at Carson Wentz and you think, that we can win with that guy. He's talented enough. We can do so many more things than we could do over the last two seasons. We had some of the worst quarterback play in football over the last two years. I don't even think that's arguable. They could not function offensively for stretches of 2019 and 2020. And Carson Wentz is much better than that, but he is still Carson Wentz and he still comes with all of the frustrations and the concerns. And for me, it's also an aesthetic thing. Like watching Carson Wentz makes me anxious Everything about his play style makes me uncomfortable as I watch the game. So I can only feel for how Washington fans are going to have to be every single Sunday when you're watching that guy as the quarterback of your team. Yeah, because and look, they were really confident, like really confident when they got him. I know they would because I asked around that building and they're like, "Oh yeah, we yeah we can fix him. Sure, yeah. Oh, no problem." And they felt like. You know, I know there was a report about Jimmy Garoppolo or whatever, but a lot of people told me that they didn't see that there was a big difference between Wentz, Garoppolo, Winston, and they liked Wentz better of all three of those. They thought there was the fewest amount of problems and a bigger upside of all of them. And they felt like, hey, we'll be able to help this guy get back on track. We know we can we can see what he does well, and it fits what we want to do. But man, um, I don't know. Sorry, guys. You I'm sure it's going to be fine. Swing and Over the course of the season, they have enough talent, and I think Scott Turner is a good enough offensive coordinator that I think they're going to ultimately be fine over the course of an entire year. But there are going to be some moments that are just absolutely miserable three-and-a-half-hour stretches on Sundays if you root yeah. for this team. And that's exactly what Sunday felt like, and those are going to be back. You're going to play against the Cowboys, and Carson Wentz is going to just curl up into the fetal position for three hours one of these weeks. And then the next week, you're going to play against a team that doesn't have as good of a pass rush, doesn't have as good of a defense, and he's going to sling it around for 350 yards. You're going to be like, holy shit, look at what Jahan Dotson looks like. And that's what this season is likely going to be like for this team. And, oh boy, it's a roller coaster ride. You better strap in, because it's going to be a long few months. But that's what's being a Commanders fan is like just a lot of like, you know, hanging on to hope, getting that hope dashed, you know, having another thing to give you a little more hope. And instead of a year to year, it's just going to be a week to week thing for them. All right. Last thing here. We're going to quickly preview Thursday night football on this show because the Thursday night game is very good and we want to give it more than like a two hour shelf life after we do the preview episode shortly before Thursday night football kicks off every single week. What is your favorite aspect of Dolphins Bengals that's going to happen tonight? You know, I I think it's the fact that you have these two young quarterbacks um, and just what uh, their teams really kind of live and die with them. Um, You know, you have guy like Burrow who can make all the throws. He holds onto the ball a little bit too long, tries to make something out of nothing, but it's really entertaining to see it at the same time. Um, and then you have two. I'm just very fascinated with um, this Mike McDaniel experiment here, but also you have defenses that, that can keep you in games. The Bengals defense has not been what it was. 
Um, we haven't seen the Bengals offense really fully fire up to what it was, but just the fact of these two quarterbacks, potentially they could be part of the, 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 the new era, the, the, the next generation of great quarterbacks, if things continue to progress the way they do. And so I like seeing that process. And that's, that's probably the two things I'll watch the closest is, is how Burrow um, fares, you know, can they get this thing turned around? And then is this Mike McDaniel, um, you know, to a reclamation project, is it really legit? Has he got him, you know, steered the right direction and being the face of that franchise that they were hoping he was going to be? Yeah, on that side of the ball, I, I just love the matchup between Luana Rumo and Mike McDaniel because what I loved about the Bengals' defense last year is that they were able to kind of shape shift down the stretch and deploy these game plans that were hyper specific that were tailored for the teams that they were playing against. Think what they did against the Chiefs in the second half of that game and how ready they were to do it. And what's really interesting about this group and talking to people there during training camp this year is that the continuity they have defensively has gotten them to a place where they can kind of pull the ripcord on some of these ideas mid-game if they want to. Remember when we ran this you know, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, last season, week 10? They can do it without even practicing it. So when you have a team like the Dolphins that have this really specific type of offense that does all of this funky stuff and they have all of this speed, it's kind of constructed unlike any other offense in the league with this amalgam of all these Shanahan ideas and all of the RPOs, what the Bengals' plan is for that type of offense, I can't even wait to see what it is. That's an incredible matchup. I, I, I'm so excited to see that. And you know, the Bengals are really trying some stuff. They're running a lot of simulated pressures this year where they're bringing Logan Wilson, they're bringing Von Bell, they're bringing some of the corners, but they're only bringing four. And the way that their linebackers are playing in coverage is really good. It, that defense, even if they don't have any real superstars outside of the way that Trey Hendrickson can play every once in a while, how smart they all are and how flexible they all are make them a really good group to go against an offense that's playing as well and has as much confidence as the Bengals off, or the Dolphins offense has right now. Obviously, injury issues to think about. Two is hurt. He's questionable. Mm-hmm. We'll see what happens. Jalen Waddle also questionable. I hope all of them play just because right, I do right. want to see the full arsenal of these two teams playing against each other. But that little cat and mouse game between Tua and Mike McDaniel and Lou Anarumo and this incredibly veteran laden Bengals defense, that is the thing I cannot wait to watch tomorrow. Yeah, because, you know, and like you said, you hope Tua is right um, because otherwise it'll be a letdown if he's not 100%. Um, uh, and also, you know, they've got to be able to run the football. Um, you know, to be able to set up a lot of the stuff they want to do with the pass in this Bengals defense is tough to run on. Um, I think it's 86 yards a game if you have enough living in teams too. Uh, but still, DJ Reader is out though, which is definitely something to look at. His, their run defense has been drastically different when he has played and when he hasn't. He is a huge cog in what they do against the run, and he is not going to play tonight. So that's definitely something to keep in mind. Yep, exactly. So we'll see. It should be a great game. Like you said, great chess match. Here we go. Um, I'm looking forward to it. All right, Mike, that's all we got for you. I really appreciate the time. I can't wait to do this more, and we're so happy to have you aboard. All right, man. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to uh, working with you some more. Awesome. Talk to you later. Thanks.
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight? Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. Don't just ride the index, seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. All right, it's time to get to our buddy Danny Heifetz and some quarterback therapy. Let's get to it. It's time for a new segment here on the Athletic Football Show, something we conceived of before the season started, and I'm very excited to trot it out for the first time. There are few things as a sports fan that are more anxiety-inducing than rooting for a team with either an uncertain, that's the word I'll use, or bad quarterback situation. It's the most important position in professional sports. And the gap between teams that have one of those guys and teams that don't is so incredibly large that when you are a fan of one of the teams in the second bucket, it's awful. You don't know what the future looks like. You don't know what it's going to be like week to week. You walk into every game knowing that you're probably at a disadvantage. And over time, that starts to weigh on you. And one of the reasons this is so true and dear to my heart is that this is me. This has been me for 35 years of my life as somebody who roots for the Chicago Bears. So this season on Thursdays, every once in a while, I want to have people I know, friends of mine, people in the NFL media world on just to do a little therapy session about their team's quarterback situation, just to check in. This is self-care. This is just checking in with yourself, making sure we're all doing okay and kicking this off. I am thrilled to welcome my buddy Danny Heifetz from The Ringer. Danny, how you doing, bud? Uh, I am. I am. I'm alive. I'm here. Uh, I don't know if I'm well. I appreciate you doing this. I feel like there isn't a lot of room for men in this day and age to be vulnerable about how upset they are with their quarterbacks. You know, there's there's anger, there's sadness. I don't really know what my feelings are. Never mind how to express them. And so, I really appreciate you checking in. So for people that do not know, you are a fan of the New York football giants who are quarterbacked by Daniel Jones for now. And this is something that you've had to deal with for a long time. How long have you been a fan of the New York football giants? Uh, my entire life. Uh, I My first curse words I learned because my mom was, was yelling at Kerry Collins. And I yelled things that I won't repeat here. But that's how I learned. Uh, I mean, I, I, I'll leave it at the F word. There were like five others. But all I got all of them in a row at six years old because Kerry Collins turned over the Titans. So ever since then. I experienced the Monday night game in a fascinating way. I was at a concert on Monday night, just kind of checking things on my phone periodically and looking at Twitter and 
it's always fun to experience a game that way and then go back and watch the game. It's never as bad as, as it seemed like in real time when the reviews were rolling in. But I want to know how you felt watching Daniel Jones on Monday night and where this falls in your overall experience with him as your quarterback. Numb. It was Rosh Hashanah. It's the Jewish New Year. And I remember thinking, oh, you know what? Because, you know, you do the holly, you do the honey and your sweetness. And I'm like, you know what's sweet? I won't have to deal with this next year. That's so nice. He's going to be gone. And it, it, it's unfair. I feel, I've been so mean to Daniel Jones in the past because I feel like with Daniel Jones, it he reminds me of like he is kind of an Eli Manning clone. Like he's the same height. He's the same weight. He speaks with the same cadence. He literally built his entire life off of being Eli Manning. Like he literally went to Duke to play for David Cutcliffe because that was Eli Manning's offense coordinator. Daniel Jones is like, I'm just going to do what Eli Manning did. And then the Giants, right as Eli Manning's retiring, didn't want to get rid of him. We're like, this kid kind of reminds of a Eli Manning. And it reminds me of, I don't know if you saw the story, Barbara Streisand, her dogs passed away and she cloned her dogs. Like she didn't get the same breed. She didn't get the same. She literally de- genetically cloned her dogs and that was five clones. That's what the Giants did with Eli Manning. They were so distraught he left and they just cloned him and they have Daniel Jones. The problem was this clone was not raised by Archie Manning. And so he kind of sucks and we're stuck with him. I don't even know where to go with this. <laughs> The cloning the dogs thing, I kind of understand it. I I love my dogs so deeply that one of the jokes in my house that I have with my fiance is that Molly's never going to die. Like We always talk about how (laughs) Molly's going to outlive us and how Molly's actually immortal because just the pure thought uh, of her passing away someday and us having to face the world without her is unbearable, so we don't like to think about it. So I get where Barbara is coming from. And if you're the Giants, I kind of get where you're coming from as well. You had two Super Bowls with Eli Manning. It It was a period of milk and honey and greatness and you had felt so good about where you were as a franchise and the downturn was so dramatic in the years after Eli Manning not just at the quarterback position but overall so let's take two or three steps back to just look at the entire Daniel Jones experience and the scope of the last few years are you one of those people that lumps this onto the organization as a failure more than just Daniel Jones. The fact that he's never really been put in a position, not just to succeed, but just to even be a competent NFL quarterback. Big picture, it's all in ownership in John Mara. John Mara, they hired Dave Gettleman. They thought Gettleman was a good idea. They thought, you know, the people who hired Jason Garrett to be in charge of Daniel Jones, like Daniel Jones, I mean, they... The Giants played against Jason Garrett for a decade, and then they hired him thinking it was a good idea. That's pretty incredible. Like last year, the Giants offense last in touchdowns with Jason Garrett. Cowboys, the team that got rid of Jason Garrett, first in touchdowns. Like the people in charge of making these decisions are the ones responsible ultimately. Daniel Jones himself has done nothing wrong, honestly. Uh, Even the turnover problems like early in his career, when I watched in the first two seasons, his pocket awareness genuinely made him me worry. I was like, what happens when this dude crosses the street? Like, is he going to get hit by a car? Like, I, I, that's really how I felt watching the first couple of years. There were shades of that last night in Dallas, but or two nights ago. Time is all diluted for me. But <laughs> we have no picture, idea what day it is. It's no, no one does anymore. But the overall, the team around him is so bad. It's it's almost hard to evaluate him. You know what I mean? Gettleman's left the shell of a roster where uh, Andrew Thomas is nice at left tackle. Evan Neal's getting rocked by Demarcus Lawrence at right tackle. The receivers, I mean, I mean, Kenny Galladay's not even playing. Kadarius Tony's not even playing. Sterling Shepard's out. Like they got Richie James, who's a cast off from the 49ers. David Sills the fifth, who's like an undrafted guy. Like these are not these are people who will not really be in the NFL within a year or two are just starting for them. And they're dropping like flies too. But the reality is I just don't think Daniel Jones is going to make anyone around him better at any point in his career. He will always be, at his best, 
the level of talent around him. And your Giants fans are kind of clinging. Well, maybe if he's surrounded by people, he'll be average. It's like, no, this guy's got to go. Uh, it's I, I, I'm like numb. I'm like at the acceptance stage of the levels of grief. That's kind of how I understand it as well, because you're watching him on Monday night and God, Evan Neal, poor Evan Neal. Uh, going against DeMarcus Lawrence heart. in your in your third career game and some of the shit that DeMarcus Lawrence can do, all of those little cross-chop Eurostep moves and, and having to deal with that when <laughs> you're just getting started with the NFL is a tough, tough night at the office on primetime and national TV. Uh, not even his fault. Like That's, that's going to happen when you're playing against yeah. a guy like that every once in a while. And it's kind of not Daniel Jones's fault. When you're dealing with that sort of pass protection and you're dealing with those sort of issues in your receiving core... The team is bereft of talent, and we kind of knew that was going to happen. It was going to be a slog for them offensively, even if you had some faith in the Mike Kafka-Brian Dable combination overseeing this thing. But it almost doesn't matter. It almost doesn't matter (laughs) if Daniel Jones's failures are a product of the players around him or where the organization is. Having to parse this, the final answer and where you divvy up blame for the 2022 New York Giants offense over the next 17 games doesn't really matter because the bar he had to clear in order for them to bring him back was so incredibly high that the nuances of why this team is good or bad and how much Daniel Jones is responsible for that, you can almost eject that out of your mind, can't you? I, absolutely. I mean, I think the realistic answer here is that, you know, Joe Shane came from the Bills and Brian Dable came from the Bills. And in the course of these job interviews, John Mara, who's very partial to Daniel Jones, because again, he's a clone of Eli Manning. And John Mara over and over kept saying this offseason, we've done everything to screw up Daniel Jones. And the Bills brain trust basically said, yeah, we'll give him a shot. I think to tell you the truth, that's something you tell your boss to get the job. But yes. they knew deep in their hearts that Daniel jo- will give him. Yeah, sure. Give him the tryout. Who cares? They got to take the whole year is to melt the Gettleman cap anyway. Gettleman left. It's I, I don't know an analogy, but it just this was already a mess of a season. They had to clear it out. They're like, yeah, sure. Let the Daniel Jones have their phone. When they declined his fifth year option, it's already over. And that's for the best for everybody. They can go into next year's draft. They can get Bryce Young from Bama or CJ Stroud from Ohio State. There's all these options. But the reality is for this season, the worst, I actually, my heart loved the 2-0 start. My heart wanted to start 3-0. Like, could the Giants just have beaten the Eagles in the division? Of course not. But my heart's like, yeah, they could totally do it. My head is like the worst thing that could happen for this team is like 10, 11 meaningless wins that they somehow gut out and convince themselves to bring Jones back or puts them in a position to not get a quarterback. The best case for this team is to not win another game the rest of the season and get the second pick in the draft and just get their pick of the quarterbacks. Here's the problem with that. <laughs> they could be three and one at the end of this week. I know. Well, <laughs> is it a coincidence you brought me on? They're playing the Bears this week. Is it just I'm pushing off the, the version of this for me as long as I possibly can. So we're going to cycle through some guests before we get to the state of the Bears passing game. But by the end of the weekend, either barring a tie, either the Chicago Bears or the New York Giants will be three and one and really digging Lights. themselves a hole in the lottery for the top five pick. It's. I I, I <laughs> what's I I like I love the term quarterback purgatory when you you know you have a quarterback that's just good enough to ensure he'll never get replaced but not good enough to actually get you to any significant playoff success that was always like the Andy Dalton line. Uh, luckily, I do think Daniel Jones is like well below the quarterback purgatory, but oh my god, I I don't know. It's everyone's like oh Giants two and oh it's like they're awful. This is not a good football team. The Bears are even worse. I don't know how you guys are doing anything. No, I have no idea. And I, they're, both of these teams are bottom three, bottom four teams in the league. And I think that over the rest of the season, 
things will bottom out enough where it won't really be a concern. They will be picking in the top five, and they will have their choice of where things go from here. The difference with the Bears is the Bears have a guy they drafted in the first round two years ago and traded up to go get. So they're <laughs> definitely tied to him. Which we made the in, trade. In much, the Giants traded out of the Michael Parsons just, pick. So trust we me, could. I'm aware. <laughs> I, I, I'm very aware. So that that's the issue here is that you can move on, and that's probably what's going to happen. You can say goodbye to Daniel Jones after the season is over, and that's why this is a little bit easier to stomach. There's a silver lining. There's a light at the end of the tunnel for you in the way there isn't for some yeah. of these teams with a Kirk Cousins type where this is just how it's going to be for five, ten years because we're just good enough to be relevant with this guy as our quarterback. Was there a moment either early in Daniel Jones's career or even over the last couple years where you talked yourself into the fact that this could be real? Oh yeah, of course. I'm gonna I'm gonna addict. Every fan is fanatic. You're an addict, and you you always talking yourself into with you know illusions. I think with Daniel Jones, the first game he came in with the Bucks. Uh, I was gonna ask you about that Bucks game. That was I remember vividly being at the Ringer, and that Daniel Jones had that great game. And I had a fight with Ben Glicksman about whether I had to write about Daniel Jones being good that day. And I was like, this doesn't matter. Daniel Jones is not going to be good. And I eventually lost that fight because we should have written about it. But in that moment, everyone was like, man, this is it. Here it is, Daniel Jones. And then here we are two years later and or three years later. And we're saying goodbye to Daniel Jones in our hearts and in our minds. Exactly. He's had moments, you know, I mean, the Saints game last year, he played really well. But at the end of the day, yeah, we talked about like, it on the show yeah. afterward. <laughs> Well, but it's what happens when you grade on a curve and it's it, it's kind of like uh, <laughs> what, what was happening with Chris Collinsworth the other night where Russell Wilson was playing so bad last week in Sunday football. And then Russell Wilson is like two good throws. And it's like, that's why you got Russell Wilson. I'm like, that's why that was why for that we gave up the pick so that he could have one. Like, no, the curve was so low for Daniel Jones. He has one, one or two good games. But the reality is, I actually think the, sil- the it's not a silver lining. It's a platinum lining for Giants fans. This offense. The design of it looks pretty solid when you consider the fact that they have a rookie at right tackle. The receivers are just not professional caliber. They're create they're manufacturing offense that it's like, what if Bryce Young was doing this offense? Wow, like I'd be really into this if a quarterback who was faster that also could like bomb downfield. And the irony is, I mean, all the comparisons of oh, can they do the Josh Allen thing with Daniel Jones? Anthony Richardson of Florida is actually like the next Josh Allen, a completely raw, massive person with a cannon. Like the Giants could take him. They could get Bryce Young, like who's a different player. But that's kind of the only thing that gives me hope is when I see Jalen Jones right now, I'm like what he could be with the offense itself, the bones of this team. The Giants are in the best position they've been in, like coming into this year. They had 100 losses in the last 10 years. I mean, this is actually the best tra- trajectory they've had. <laughs> I'm almost disappointed by the course of this conversation because there's almost too much hope for Giants fans because of what next year might look like. It's a little bit depressing. I wish I wanted you to be sadder than you are right well, now. Well, I am. Well, you know why? I think it's because I, I, I don't know if I. I'm quite in line with as many other Giants fans. A lot of Giants fans still love Daniel Jones or believe in him. Uh, I, I, I just have really, I, I will just say I have not been a believer in this kid since the moment they took him. And the whole thing has just been mildly like flabbergasting, but yeah, sorry if I'm just, I, I apologize if I've made too much mental progress in our therapy session. No, but I'm really, what? I'm really happy for you. I'm glad that you're in a good place. That, that's no, where you, we want to get mentally, to by the end of this. No, do you want this me to be what more we want we want people to get to a place where they're feeling good by the end of this. So the fact that we got there so fast uh, 
is good news. I'm really happy for you, and I'm happy that you're doing well. So you want which one of those guys do you want? It's like September 28th. We have no idea what the top five is going to look like. I'm putting you on the spot right now. What is your ultimate 2023 Giants quarterback plan? Bryce Young at Bama. Uh, he, every time I watch him play, he's unbelievable. He's short, right? That's going to be the whole discourse. Like he's short. It certainly is. He's going to play like Russell Wilson. Blah blah blah. I don't care. When I watch college football and I watch Bama, it's he just what the calmness. Like he's just got. He doesn't rattle, which I really love, and he just he just makes plays, and I just got everything about him. I really enjoy his game, and then I feel like Anthony Richardson's like the exact opposite. There's no refinement. There's no polish. It kind of looks like, what if Josh Allen had played in the SEC? That's kind of how I feel watching Anthony Richardson sometimes, but uh, I would love to just... I, basically, I think that I want a guy who can run. It's kind of like real life is now imitating fantasy Like Daniel football. Jones. Yeah, well, no, but he. I wish he could pass. I want a guy who can pass and run really well and also think at the same time. It's You know the whole thing? Oh, we can walk and chew gum at the same time. Not convinced Daniel Jones can. I would love someone who could because it. it's kind of like if you ever play golf and you play golf with someone who can hit the ball like legitimately 300 yards and you can get it like 220 and it's like if their short game's as good as mine, will I ever be able to beat them on a hole? And that's how it feels watching these other teams, like to come back around all the way to how you started. When I watched... I mean, even the Chiefs, where Mahomes is Mahomes and, you know, Josh Allen, even Jalen Hurts with the Eagles. I'm watching all these guys, all the different things these teams can do. It feels like if you have that traditional pocket passer, dude, that you're it. it I don't know. It's like you're trying to. It, it, it's like in a video game where you wander in a part of the map that's like for way when you're way more advanced and you don't have the right weapons or armor. And you're like, I'm not supposed to be here. That's kind of how it feels watching the the Giants have to compete. And it's like, I would just like a modern quarterback and not an Eli Manning clone at least Saquon looks really good that's something well they're gonna get rid of him right too now. don't get your hope yeah it looks great enjoy it while it is but if you want to talk the thing I'm not over is like my heart wants Saquon but he's in the last maybe they'll franchise tag him or something but like Saquon man I kind of feel like it's I'd be stunned if they signed him to some huge contract franchising him sounds a good like a good idea they got a decent amount of cap space next year their cap next year is wild have you looked at it uh, it's. I mean, I, I just know Kenny Galladay is going to be a nice $17 million hole. So it's $14.7 million in dead money for Kenny Galladay. But the funniest part is that Leonard Williams, because of some restructures, has a $32.3 million cap hit next season. They still yeah, have it, oodles of cap space. I mean, Leonard it doesn't really cap- matter. It's just no. hilarious to look at. Well, I mean, have you seen the list? Leonard Williams' cap hit, I think this year, I mean, it's more than Tom Brady's getting from Tampa Bay. Leonard Williams. I mean, it's going to be up there next year. I think yeah, right it's now. it's crazy. Uh, I'm pretty sure that Ryan Tannehill, I think, has the highest cap hit in the league or close to it at like $37 million this year. And so next year, I'm assuming it's going to be in that same sort of range for most of these guys. But and all the problems are the same. It's because Dave Gettleman came up and was a scout, like a scout scout. But he wasn't, we don't talk about this term enough, a general manager managing <laughs> things generally. He was a scout from one department. Didn't come from finance. He was kind of like Lucille Bluth, where it's like, what could a banana cost, Michael? $10? What do we want for Leonard Williams, Michael? $32 million? It's like the price of everything Gettleman just got wrong over and over. Now the Giants are in this precarious spot. All right. Well, next time you're here, we'll do Dave Gettleman therapy. Because it sounds <laughs> like you could use some of that. We'll, we'll spend our time. That's how we'll spend our time next time. We'll be talking about Dave Gettleman. Danny Heifetz, thank you for doing this. Thank you for kicking us off. I'm excited to do this over the course of the season. And I'm very glad that you could be our first one. Thank you for having me. It's like, you know, it's like therapy. I just leave and I just I feel lighter. I feel like a load's been taken off my shoulders. Thank you. That's what we're going for here. All right, bud. Talk to you later. Thank you. See ya. 
All right, guys, that's all we got. Thank you so much to Mike. Thank you so much to Danny. We will be back later this afternoon. Me, Nate, Deontay doing our week four preview, 3.30 p.m. Eastern on our YouTube channel. If you are not subscribed to the YouTube channel, there is a link in the description of this podcast. Go subscribe, mostly because our recap of tonight's game between the Bengals and the Dolphins will only be available on YouTube. Our game recaps on Monday and Thursday nights are moving to YouTube. That is where you will be able to watch them. I know that some of you are bummed that they're not going to be podcasts. We're trying this out. Stick with us. We really want you guys to check out some of the stuff that we're doing on YouTube. We have the game recaps. We have Nate's Wind the Clock. We're doing our preview shows on there, our Sunday recap show. So just go check it out. Just go watch the show tonight on YouTube after we're done. It's going to be a great game. You're going to be up anyway. You're sitting on your couch. Open your laptop. Turn it on. Come hang out with us for a conversation. Also, please subscribe to The Athletic. Theathletic.com slash football show is where you can do that. You can read Nate's weekly rewind. Deontay also wrote something this week. It's where you can check out great stuff from all of our writers at The Athletic. So please go do that if you have not. We'll be back later with me, Nate, and Deontay. Until then, appreciate you guys listening. We'll talk to you soon. This was The Athletic Football Show.